everyone, welcome on the Barricades. This is another edition of our show. My name is Bojan Stanislavski and with me is the usual co-host of the show, Dr. Maria Cherna. Welcome. Hi. Right, so yeah, yeah, great to have you here and great to be here with you. So before we start discussing Romania and Bulgaria, which are the topics or, yeah, the kind of the, the some events that happened in those countries recently uh, are going to be the topic uh, of this uh, particular segment. I just want to remind everyone that we're all available on YouTube, we're available on Odyssey, we're available on Rumble and our audio version, the audio versions of our um, podcast uh, can be listened to on Spotify and SoundCloud. Uh, both versions, videos and audios are available on our Substack platform. So go to the barricade substack.com and you will find the full archive of all our videos and all our audios as well as our articles and you can of course go uh, always check uh, out our website which is the barricade.online uh, where you will again find uh, the entire archive so uh, having said that <laughs> let's move on and uh, let's dive straight in so Maria what's been what's been up in Romania uh, recently and what uh, what's been on your radar well, I want to tell you that for the first time I was able to read an article regarding the Ukraine offensive where I could see a neutral tone and uh, the professor, Radu Karp, writing that article was very neutral and just informing about the military operations. And I'm so sad that it took hundreds of thousands of lives, Ukrainians and Russians, dead people, wounded people, to see the Romanian mainstream press coming to its senses and discussing war in a very rational and down-to-earth manner. Um, no emotional upheaval, no bad versus evil, just explaining the facts. And I think that they reached this point of, you know, rationality due to the fact that the counteroffensive is going very bad. And now they are trying to explain why is it going so bad and why is it that the Ukrainians were not able to reach not even the final, the first line of, of defense. And they were trying to explain uh, things that already a lot of military experts explained before the counteroffensive even started that the Russians have very, very sophisticated equipment allowing them to mine the field and that the Ukrainians, even if they advance, they are a very easy target for the Russian artillery and the fact that that they are, the Ukrainians are outnumbered and all the things that were so obvious, even for us, Boyan, even for me, that haven't spent like one minute, you know, reading about war, military, you know, strategy and all the Well, rest. you taught, you taught at, at some kind of university, was it university yes, or college or something? You taught like inter international security, so... Yes, so I thought I, I, uh, I discussed with those people propaganda and I was able to see how undemocratic their organizational culture was uh, the, of the people working in the security apparatus in Romania and how the 30 years of democracy haven't left really a mark on the mentality and organizational culture of those people. But apart from that, I was not preoccupied. But it was so obvious right from the beginning that this is a you know, a failure 
and that the Ukrainians unfortunately haven't stood a chance. And I don't know why we, I mean, we Romanians or and other people, especially the ones intellectuals, academics, and mostly politicians from the western part of the world, the global north, had to to send so many young people to be slaughtered because it was so obvious that you know they are they were going to fail and of course there is this debate in uh, romanian uh, mainstream press that uh, if we send more weapons maybe we will see better results on the ukrainian side but of course things are starting you know finally things are starting to to look like even for the most fanatical supporters of uh, ukraine and the government in Kiev, even for those people, the things start to look a little grim. And they start to have doubts, which I think it's important, but I, I want to stress that it's unfortunate that so many people had to die in order to, to understand what should have been so obvious right from the beginning. And another thing is that apparently the coalition between the Social Democrats and the National Liberals that are currently ruling Romania in a coalition that very much resembled what you told me about Bulgaria, where you had GERB, the party of Borisov, and then you had, we continue the change in the same kind of coalition. We have the socialists and the liberals together, which sounds very weird, ideological, and from all points of view. But when you have people that are so incompetent, so opportunistic, so, you know, willing to do what they're told, from you know external and internal power centers then it doesn't look so so bizarre because they haven't got a mind of their own they are just there to follow different uh, you know orders and to 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 do whatever is necessary to to stay in power and now there seems to be a bit of a problem because next year we will have elections and uh, the social democrats and the national liberals sign an agreement that the liberals agreed to raising taxes and um, uh, basically collecting more money and the social democrats apparently agreed to budgetary cuts because of course we have a huge deficit and uh, they have to they have no money basically so they came up with this solution we raised taxes, okay, the national liberals agreed to this solution that apparently goes against their ideas, and then the social democrats said, yes, but we were, we are going to cut budgetary, you know, funds, and uh, there is a whole debate that the social democrats just renamed some of the functions in the administrative apparatus that they haven't cut the budgetary, you know, expenses, and there is this debate now and it looks like these people can stand each other. So I'm, I keep wondering if in 50 years we will discover and we will know for sure, I don't know, I hope to still be here for the day when we will see what got these people to stay together in this coalition. We will have it, you know, because I can suspect that there is a higher power, there are other interests internal or external i don't know that keep these people together because otherwise i think they will be they would be at each other's throats so 
I hope to see the day when we will see what kept these people in this coalition in Romania and Bulgaria, you know, where we will have it written down. But, well. but Romania, I told you, is not very interesting because uh, the, the security apparatus managed to get in power people that are very obedient. And I told you that in almost 30 years, everybody seems to be so tired seems to be so demoralized people are not interested in politics anymore we have less than 40 percent around 30 percent of people that have the right to vote actually exercise this power so romania is in a state of depression i would call it you know depression and this is it but in bulgaria i see that because you explained many times on this program that the anti-Russian sentiment is not so widespread and unanimous, almost unanimous, like is the case of Romania. So you have a little bit of division, you have a little bit of life, so to speak. Not everything yeah. is frozen, like I would say. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess... Uh, Equaling division with life is probably not the, uh, the, the kind of happiest of, um, you know, all arrangements that you can uh, that you can have. I mean, I would probably li I, I, I'd like to see the Bulgarian and the Romanian and the Polish and other Eastern European societies, uh, you know, functioning as a coherent entity, you know, trying to develop uh according to uh, the capacities possibilities and resources they have but uh fact of the matter is that right now there's a lot of uh d there are many divisions and there's there's a lot of polarization and in uh, each and every of the societies throughout eastern europe i think it manifests itself in different ways and uh, unfortunately you know the more primitive uh the uh the politicians the political classes are uh the more primitive the uh, political discourse if you like is uh th th you know th it kind of is reflected in the way the political sentiment displays itself in the public sphere so uh as you said in romania it's like a weird conglomeration between two parties which normally should are supposed to hate each other and uh you know ideologically and in any other uh, aspect really but they are together you know and the kind of balance in the society despite you know the final outcome or per saldo it being negative for everyone with the exception of course of the ruling uh of the ruling class but uh this is this is the way things are and uh you know, we can speculate who is the higher power, but of course, the first instance that comes to mind is the American embassy because they operate the same way uh, all across the world, basically. So they coerced somehow uh, the two rivaling parties, again, that should hate each other in Bulgaria. So why wouldn't they be able to do that in Romania or anywhere else? Uh, so uh, in Bulgaria, you know, one of the manifestations of the political sentiments uh, which are uh, by Western standards, I guess, pro-Russian, that's how uh, one would describe them. That's how one would describe them. They, they are centered around certain symbols. Uh, I've said it many times on this program and many other programs <laughs> that I do not really think that there is any kind of profound understanding of 
how the Russian leadership perceives itself and perceives Russia among the Bulgarian Russophiles or pro-Russian crowd or the public uh, opinion which supports Russia or keeps fingers crossed for Russia in this conflict. They don't quite understand anything really about Russian politics, about the Russian political culture or, uh, you know, about the architecture of the internal political process in Russia. They only have something which is deeply embedded in their hearts and minds, uh, which has been, you know, transmitted from generation to generation that, you know, one of the metropolis for us Bulgarians is uh, Moscow, which is our, you know, orthodox brothers and sisters, our Slavic brothers and sisters, our liberators, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> also, what is important here to add is that many Bulgarians, especially we're talking about the generation, my generation and, you know, older generations, which is people 40 plus and older, uh, they also have uh, a kind of understanding of what's of what had happened in Bulgaria over the period uh, of the 50 years of so-called communism. Uh, and most people have very warm feelings about that period, which also strengthens uh, the kind of pro-Russian, although I, I don't think it's really an accurate description, but a kind of pro-Russian sentiment, let's say, right, in the society. And, uh, you know, because there is lack of understanding and because there is no actual discussion about Russia, about international politics, about international relations, about, you know, the United States, if you like, imperialism, anything really, uh, then, you know, the average person uh, that is interested to whatever extent in politics in Bulgaria, they will resort to symbolic gestures. And those symbolic gestures and symbolic elements in the public sphere have been in the center somehow of the of what is referred to as political debate in Bulgaria. Now, how can you have a, a serious political debate about a monument, for example? Well, if it were a monument, I don't know, that, that was about to be erected, then okay, you can have a discussion about whether it makes sense, whether we really appreciate this or that figure or this or that event that it's supposed to commemorate. But we're talking about the monument here of the Russia, sorry, of the Soviet army. And this is a huge monument like in you know, across all capital cities and not only capital cities, like across major urban uh, or all major urban centers across the region of Eastern Europe, you have those monuments. And, uh, you know, every time, every time there is a serious problem in Bulgaria, a serious political economic problem, whatever, then you get someone, some kind of clown going out there and saying, we have to destroy, uh, dismantle the uh, monument of the Russian or Soviet army, right? And then everyone focuses immediately on that. You know, the emotions throughout the entire society, they are being uh, reasoned to, you know, levels which you normally don't see, uh, you know, when people discuss about any other political issue or historical issue or anything like that, right? So immediately people get hyped up. There are uh, all kinds of organizations, uh, some of which are very quiet normally, but, you know, the organization of Bulgarian Russophiles or whatever. I mean, this is just, th these are just organizations. I mean, they don't really do anything in terms of like everyday activity. They are just there in order to put people together who have like similar views. And this is only one such organization. There are veterans, there are, you know, ex-members of the army, there are this and that. There are, you know, uh, youth organizations of various, you know, to various parties like the Socialist Party or this Nationalistic Party uh, revival, right? And, you know, and even the members of the of those parties, they would immediately, you know, uh, gather somewhere in the center of Sofia, discuss how are they going to defend uh, 
at the monument of the army and then someone else would kind of organize other gatherings about how are we going to break the defenses and how are we finally going to tear down this communist brand you know this kind of nonsense and uh fact of the matter is it can be very entertaining at times uh and i think there if, if, if we're because yeah. there are people camping around the monument trying to defend it yeah i know i know but i don't really think that anyone is going to attack it really because if you uh if you dare to do that then you really risk a major social conflict in bulgaria a major social conflict because people are not very political in bulgaria they've never been by the way but you know this at this point we've got the similar situation in bulgaria as in romania like 30 percent of people eligible to vote actually vote no one really gives a damn everybody's super demoralized with everything that had happened over the last has happened over the last 30 years uh it's like there's no hope there's very little kind of uh th there's very little imperative really in anyone individually or, or or in terms of like social groups uh to actually go and vote and take take any kind of political action but you know the last thing that people have um is the kind of political sentiment that divides them but it's it's a very shallow division i mean the division is between some people in sofia and some people in plovdiv maybe which is another big uh, city in bulgaria uh, who are very pro-Western oriented, who want to see Bulgaria thriving as once France did or Spain or, I don't know, Germany or something like that. And they want to see Bulgaria uh, kind of, the Bulgarian political and social and cultural architecture being modeled on those, uh, on those examples from the West. And it's a very tiny group of people. I mean, we're talking about maybe five, maybe 10% of the entire public opinion of those people who are eligible to take any kind of uh, political action. Of course, this five, 10, okay, maybe 15, I don't know, but that's maximum really. Uh, percent, they are very well funded. They have like many institutions and NGOs behind them. Uh, and uh, they are very well, well, maybe not very well organized, but at least very well funded. And if, if needed, they will organize themselves in all kinds of, you know, or, or, in all kinds of initiatives it doesn't necessarily have to be only demonstrations it could also be something like you know uh let's say social committee for removing the remnants of dictatorial communist past or something of course it's going to be focused against uh, the red army monument or something similar that is going to enrage the other part which is the other uh, 85 90 or 95 percent uh, and of course you know if you in this in these circumstances that i just described if you actually dare to do something like that you really risk a major social conflict in bulgaria with all kinds of violence displayed uh kind of surfacing in not only around the, the monument of the red army but uh all across really the con uh, all, all across the country in many in in small towns uh, and 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 uh, bigger urban centers now that that would happen only because people would probably feel and that's that's not far from the truth really they would feel that the last thing that they have that they somehow appreciate that they treat with respect the last thing that they can think of in in any kind of noble terms that you know the red army liberated us from fascism that the russian army before that liberated us from the ottoman empire that this is the last thing that they some, somehow have and this is being symbolically taken away from them i think they're going to react and oh there's at least a high uh, high probability that they would and uh, this is why i think that that it's it's unlikely that anyone would would actually uh try to 
physically remove the monument of the Red Army, unless unless I'm getting it wrong. Perhaps you know the society in Bulgaria is already demoralized to the extent that they would they wouldn't just give uh, a damn. <laughs> Sorry. So uh, we'll see how things are gonna go, but it's not really it's not really a discussion. It's not really a, a, any kind of political debate about our past, about the Socialist uh, or the People's Republic legacy. It's not really a discussion about the role of Russia or the Soviet Union in our history. It's just an attempt to see how far can we go with certain things and to what extent have we weakened down uh, the, the kind of social and spirit, if you like, uh, and, and the potential for reaction against that. And I think this is uh, this is it. I mean, there's not nothing really substantial to it that you can you could extract something from and say like, oh, these are whatever the new conclusions about like the history, uh, the the recent history of Bulgaria. You know, so so that's that's how I see uh, the situation there. So. Listen, uh, last note on this uh, segment of our show. What is the sentiment and the general discussion uh, with regards to the war in Ukraine? Because I saw that at some point President Radev saying that we are going to support Ukraine, but not to the extent that we destroy basically and we jeopardize our national security in the sense that, okay, we give them what we can, we support the refugees, but when it comes to giving away weaponry and military equipment that would jeopardize our national security, then there's that's no go. Well, look, first of all, let's start with the question of national security uh, in Bulgaria. I think it's a very uh, national security or some, some talk about national strategy. And uh, it's an interesting topic, but I'm not sure to what extent it actually, in theory even, applies to Bulgaria. Because in order to have a national security strategy or national strategy about security or whatever, then you got to answer yourself, you, you know, you got to ask yourself the question, what actually is a nation and how are we going to define its interests? And thus, how are we going to define its security? Now, if we take the most, uh, and I don't think anyone has really dedicated any uh, time discussing it seriously over the last 30 years in Bulgaria. So I don't really um, think that there are any concrete and specific uh, items that, or, or that there is a specific set of items or, that would form something like a strategy for national security. And if we take the kind of basic um, indicators of what national security is, how national security as as a notion is perceived, like, you know, the, the army, the police, the security apparatus, the secret police, you know, uh, the border police, all of those things. If we take it into account and try to somehow draw a balance on the basis of the quantity, at least, because we don't know anything about the quality and I'm afraid it's very bad, but <clears throat> the quantity of the Bulgarian soldiers, the border guards, the policemen, the secret police officers and all the rest of it, I think we don't really have any national security. And quite honestly, I think it would be better if we haven't had those institutions, because if we have, when we have them, we kind of leave in this delusion that there actually are some institutions or people that are going to protect us uh, in a situation of danger. Well, that's not true. So it's actually better, practically speaking, not to have them because then you know that you're on your own. <laughs> Whereas otherwise you're just deluding yourself that someone can uh, come to your help. Nothing of that is ever going to happen. And God forbid anything happens in Bulgaria that endangers the national security, inverted commas, whatever it means, however everyone perceives that. I don't believe anyone is capable of defending anything in Bulgaria. And of course, President Andradev, I mean, look, uh, 
Our army in Bulgaria consists of some say 25,000 soldiers, some say 15,000 soldiers, some even say 12,000. We don't even know exactly. I wonder whether uh, anyone in the Ministry of Defense actually knows. Uh, now, we know that there still are some that there still is some weaponry that could be handed over to Ukraine. Now, fact of the matter is that NATO, and there are statistics for that, I can bring them up next time, for example. I'm not prepared. I mean, I don't have the figures here, right here in front of me. But um, the fact of the matter is that after joining NATO, the Bulgarian army has been disarmed completely and reduced to this uh, idiotic number of like 10, 20, uh, maybe 20,000 people. Uh, just for comparison, uh, in the late 70s and beginning of the 80s, uh, when General Dobrijurov was the head of the Bulgarian uh, People's Army. The Bulgarian army consisted of about 300,000 people that were able to be mobilized immediately. Uh, I think 150 or 200,000 were constantly on guard. Uh, and then apart from that, we of course had like all kinds of uh, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, advantages in terms of uh, of weaponry, for example, uh, the Bulgarian People's Army had more tanks than the Turkish and the Greek army put together at the time. Now, now we're really in a situation where we don't really have any kind of army, but we still have some weaponry, despite the fact that this, uh, that the process of disarmament of the Bulgarian army, not only reduction in terms of catership, uh, has been going on since Bulgaria joined NATO, which is 2003 or 2004. And now we, despite that process, we still have something left, and they want this um, to be transferred to Ukraine. That is NATO, the the, the American embassy and so on and so forth and of course uh you know any, any sane person and uh, general radev uh, who is the uh president of bulgaria is a sane person and despite the fact that he supports nato supports the west supports he's a nato general basically he still has not gone into insanity like many nato officials and american officials have gone uh, have done so you know, he will defend whatever we have just in case, because maybe, just maybe, there will be some intelligent people who are going to react to some kind of endangerment of what is referred to as national interest, national security, and so on and so forth. So he wants to at least have some equipment to protect Sofia, to protect Plovdiv, Varna, and Burgas, and he wants to have some equipment to protect the um, nuclear power plant that we have in the north of Bulgaria, which is, by, by the way, very close to the Romanian border. So you should be also interested. I mean, your army and your uh, state apparatus should also be interested in securing that facility so that no one blows it up. And, uh, you know, of course, President Radev said that we are going to support you because this is... Well, what was he supposed to say? I mean, you know, if he had behind him, like Orban, for example, has his, you know, party and everyone, you know, supporting him so he can basically conduct some kind of independent uh, international policy. Well, President Radev is alone. He doesn't have anyone backing him. He is alone in this mud of you know pro-american bacteria that is running bulgaria right now and this is this is very uh, difficult position so what was he supposed to say i mean he cannot go openly against everyone and you know zelensky is being sent to bulgaria everyone well not every once in a while he actually went there only once uh, i think it was uh, two months ago if i remember correctly and you know even zelensky who was you know who was going to who just went there as a guest even he was attacking uh, general radev right the, the president the host of basically of his visit so w he really finds himself in a very difficult situation but i find it very courageous on his part despite you know the fact that i have disagreements with him like politically on many levels that i i think he's actually trying to be a decent politician and a decent you know statesman he's trying to say okay we're going to support you these are our uh, obligations according to all the treaties that we've signed with nato with the european union with the west in general that's true but we are not going to basically hand over everything that we have and thus lose our country completely 
uh, and we've been on the verge of losing our country completely for the last, I don't know, 20 years or something like that. So I think that General Radev is the only person right now uh, with some kind of power trying to defend, mm, with a position with power trying to defend, uh, you know, the remnants of the disappearing Bulgarian statehood. And uh, then, of course, we have the other uh, the other factor, which is uh, the uh, nationalistic party called Revival. And uh, they they are a very strange animal. It's it's uh, kind of I don't want to start discussing them right now, but I think that if another round of elections is r organized relatively, you know, fairly soon, like within the next couple of months, maybe at the beginning uh, of the next year, then I think they have the chance of becoming the second largest party in the Bulgarian parliament. And this is why uh, the current government, which is not a Bulgarian government, it's an American government appointed entirely by the American embassy. I mean, 14 out of 20 ministers have obvious direct links with the American state and its institutions. So it's actually rushing to do everything that they can in order to, you know, incur so much devastation on this, I don't know, again, I, for lack of better word, pro-Russian sentiment in the Bulgarian society, uh, you know, the uh, visual displays of the history uh, of friendship between Russia and Bulgaria, like in the form of the Soviet army monument and many other monuments across and parks and, and other uh, places like that across uh, the whole country. And they also want to make sure that everything we have is immediately transferred to mm, Ukraine right now. So, you know, they're rushing to do all those things because they know that, you know, they will never be elected again to the parliament because obviously, or, or if they are elected, they will never rule because those two parties, as I told many times in our on our programs, are supposed to, to hate each other. And now they are in bed and they are actually, you know, in one coalition, despite the fact that they don't, they reject calling it coalition, but it is, in fact, a coalition. So, like, you know, they've betrayed everything and everyone, except for the American ambassador, which I'm sure facilitated or coerced them to, have, to form this coalition. And now he's pushing, uh, he's pushing that all those things are immediately, you know, uh, uh, pushed through the parliament. And, and, and even if the government falls apart in about two weeks time, three weeks time, three months time or whatever, then all those things are going to be already in motion. And when uh, the revival party steps in, being the second, for example, I mean, this is this is how mm -hmm. I predict it could happen, uh, that it, being the second largest force in the, or maybe the first, uh, you know, force in the parliament, even if they, if they try to actually put a halt to all those processes, it will be almost uh, it will be impossible or almost impossible. So this is this is the uh, you know the actual game that's happening right now in Bulgaria. So uh, this is a, this is a very dangerous situation, I think, and I I, I have no idea how it's going to end. Uh, I. I'm always fearing for the worst when it comes to Bulgaria because of uh, the kind of lack of activity, uh, you know, on the part of the large masses of the society. Now, uh, I will try to get our Bulgarian, regular Bulgarian guests, Arto Artinyan and Bujin Traikov, to come uh, on our show and discuss that next week. Uh, I've been in touch with them, but they were unable to, uh, to join us uh, this weekend, but hopefully next week. So we're going to get a clearer and more detailed picture of how things yes, actually definitely, are. definitely, because Bulgaria because there is not this almost unanimous anti-Russian sentiment. Romania is very predictable because there are people that want sovereignty, but at the same time they are 
anti-Russian. There is a very small minority that I told you project on Vladimir Putin, the kind of man who they aspire to. They imagine, you know, and they transformed in this to this Rambo character that, you know, solves the problems with force, determination, and all the rest is pure fantasy. Um, well, I but, think there's a lot of determination on his part. So well, I think that's <laughs> But you know, they transform him into some sort of Hollywood character. In yeah, this yeah, sense, yeah. You know, so they have very weird projections. And I told you they like him for all the wrong reasons, not for his determination, you know. Right. Uh, and, uh, but apart from that, in Romania, almost 90% of the population is anti Russian. And this is why we don't have really a debate. And I told you, it took such a long time to see a balanced, rational uh, account of the war in Ukraine in the mainstream press in Romania. But that being said, thank you so much for your insight. I hope the viewers find it interesting also. And dear viewers, if you like what you saw, please consider support us, supporting us. So we, you can find us at patreon.com slash the barricade. You can find us, all the links are in the description. So we have a small community of donors. Thank you so much for your support. And we will discuss Poland because Poland is even more interesting than Bulgaria in the next segment of our show. Thanks. Thank you.